Okay, let's begin. Father, we just ask you now that you open your word to us, that this be a revelation of what we need to hear, that it would focus our lives and the week ahead of us so that we understand your purposes, your eternal purposes, that you are God and you do not change. And we hear your word as the living word to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been uh, going through the book of Joshua, and it has continued to be more of a blessing to me than it is to you to hear me. And I really encourage you, if you have the time and the focus and the purpose for you to go through this gospel of Joshua. This is not a history book. It is a principle book. It is a truth book. Yes, we went through John, we went through Revelation, Genesis, some Psalms in these last five years. And every one of them qualifies to stand alone as his word, speaking to us in not just the day it was written, but also to our day today in 2020. And it's just as real, it's just as alive as it was in the day when it was first written. It's the truth and we stand on it. We lay our lives down for it. This is our faith, our faith foundation. And we receive it that way with a sense of awe, but also with a sense of help me to understand more. Open my eyes, open my heart, open my capacity to be able to receive all the wondrous things that are in your law, your word. That is our prayer. Finding rest. And as we've said over and over again, not only in this message, but in others, that our ultimate aim in life for every nation, every person, is to live and then to rest. That's the way God built us. That's why we have night and day, night and day. Because we are the creatures of this world that God has made. And not only just like the animals, but we are creatures in his image. Not any of us being a God but he, being God, made us more like him than the angels. We understood that from the book of Hebrews. And it becomes a reality when we understand that Jesus Christ has given me his spirit, the spirit of the living God, to live and reign and rule in my heart. Yes, I still have sin that I'm dealing with, but... I have 
the power in Jesus' name before the Father to live a holy and godly life. And it's like God resets the clock every time from Adam and Eve's sin to we are without sin. But we need to be careful that we not just assume, okay, I'm invulnerable. I mean, I can just walk through any kind of situation and come out sinless at the other end. No, it doesn't work that way. The way that it works is, ah, we look at the gospel of Joshua. Joshua named Jesus, having the same name as our Savior, born on this earth. Joshua, Jesus are the same names. And so the theme here is finding rest, coming to a place where I realize and know this truth. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters God's Sabbath rest, whoever enters that rest also rests from his own, I'll be good, I'll be good, I'll be good, I'll be good. That's what our little girl used to say, running around the dining room table where her mother was chasing her because she had snatched a cookie or something like that. And to this day, that's our family joke about our little girl, Kelly. Of our two boys, she was packed with all kinds of, more than the boys, packed with spirit, impudence, uncontrollable, whatever she does, than our two sons ever thought of being. And I remember when she was coming home with her mother and brothers, back from a shopping trip, and saying to her mom, who's driving down the freeway, Mommy, I've been a good girl today, right? I haven't been bad at all. And Katie's driving, yes, honey, you've been very good today. And then Katie hears, Kelly, don't pinch me, don't pinch me, don't. <laughs> and Katie says, Kelly, I'm gonna stop the car and you're gonna get a spanking. And sure enough, you did, and it ruined her day. That was our daughter, Kelly. But where did she end up? Her brothers went off to great jobs in corporate America. Kelly ended up in Somalia, working with Somali refugees. One of the toughest areas of the world. This spunky little gal. I'll be good, I'll be good. And you know what? She did. She became good. <laughs> okay, that's enough of that. I don't have any time. For whoever enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. And that's the secret. The book of Joshua is not about going on vacation or laying on the beach in Hawaii. This story is about God's promise to bring his people into rest, trusting in the promises of God 
in Christ Jesus and possessing and receiving them to ourselves. Joshua was a warrior, not a shepherd. Joshua is the same name as Jesus. Joshua is not a type of Jesus. Joshua is a type or picture of the believer in Jesus Christ. That's my belief. We can argue that and let's, I appreciate your coming up to me and saying, well, how about this? How about that? And I'll be open to that, but I still have my own opinion. You saw where Kelly got her stuff. <laughs> Blessings and cursings in Joshua 8, 24 to 35. And then we'll talk about the verses 24 to 29. And then the breakdown of three points in this message of the altar, the law and the ark, Gerizim and evil. The conquest of Ai, the God of Israel, is in command. The book of Joshua is a reminder to us as the people of God that we are in a spiritual battle. Like Joshua, we need to listen to the commander-in-chief, the Lord God of Israel, the God and Father of us all. We who have come to know Jesus Christ need to realize that we are in a spiritual battle daily. Never give up. Never get complacent as a Christian. Never let your guard down. But remember, the battle is the Lord's. It's His battle. The secret to a victorious Christian life in this world is to remember that we need to rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his soon return for his people. That is true, true rest. Now, when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness where they pursued them, then all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. All who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000. All the people of Ai were slaughtered. Slaughtered, killed, dealt with a death blow. All of them. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand, with which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. And we could draw some illustrations here of God's anger against sin. We all are subject to death. This is not good news, is it? No, it is not. But it's the first step toward good news. And we'll see how it is that God himself takes a position, not of hating humanity, but desiring that all come to him in repentance. And he gave opportunity for the peoples of the earth to do that. Remember when Israel had been defeated at the first attack of the fortress city of Ai, something went wrong. The reason for the defeat of the first attack, number one, there was sin in the camp. Achan, one of the warriors, had taken contraband. He had taken for himself what belonged to the Lord. The first fruits belong 
to God. The silver, the gold, the brass from the conquest of Jericho. Joshua had not asked the commander-in-chief, the God of Israel, for directions, but had assumed that they were to go and attack Ai. Joshua was humiliated. He fell on his face before the Lord after they were beaten by the Aiites. But the Lord commanded him to stand up and deal with the sin of Achan. And Joshua obeyed the Lord, and the Lord said, Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. And the Lord had given Joshua his plan for taking I. And that was an ambush. And last week we talked about that ambush, which was what? The cross. The way of the cross. And by the ambush, they had fooled the enemy, and the enemy had left their fortification in Ai. And an ambush of Israelite soldiers came in, burnt the city, as the whole army was out following after a feigning and faking children of Israel. And when the city was on fire, the enemy looked back, oh no, and they ran back. And then Joshua and his troops came in and slaughtered them all and went into the city and slaughtered those who were left there in the burning remains. Terrible story. Again, what kind of a God is the God of Israel? He's a patient and holy God. These people knew the truth. What was the first city that Israel took? Jericho. What happened in that city that reveals to us the mercy and the grace of our holy God? The scarlet thread. There was a believer there who had heard all of the stories that her people had told them over the years of this merciful God. And she believed in that God. Her name was Rahab, and she became one of the great-great-grandmothers of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all those hundreds, thousands of Canaanites who had come in during the years that Israel was in captivity in Egypt, 440 years at least, those people had committed unspeakable sin and crime and had defied the living God. But God was just in giving them a chance to repent. If they knew the story, why didn't they go after that God of Israel? Rahab knew it. Her parents, her grandparents had told her. She had heard it in the city streets. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And we know the gospel well, don't we? Of Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross. And you know what? This world is without excuse because the message of the cross has gone around this world, this globe, our generation. And people have had opportunity. The people you work with, they have had opportunity to say, there's something different about you. What is it? 
There's a peace in you. Tell me what makes the difference. That is an opportunity for you to share about the scarlet thread and hang it out your window to let others know, I believe in the one who shed his blood for me. And that is the difference and only the difference between you and me. But I have found rest in Jesus Christ. Now when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness where they pursued, then all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. All who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000 people of Ai. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. And Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of that city as plunder for themselves, according to the commandment of the Lord. They were now free to take the cattle and the spoil of the city, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation until this day. And we saw that picture last week of those archaeologists, Bible-believing Christians, sitting on that heap of rocks that was once I. He hanged the king of I on a tree until evening, and at sunset Joshua gave command, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And there are some parallels here in this story of the king of I and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ by the fact that they had hung him on a tree, the king of Ai. But Joshua had given a command, take the body down before nightfall, before sunset, which they did. And that was according to the law of God, what he had commanded them. They understood that. And they followed it even for the king of I. And that's what they did with Jesus. And I read that last week. That they didn't break his legs. But they took him down. And they put him behind a large rock in a tomb. That's the story also. And that should be a witness to the rest of the nations around. And of how God dealt with the city of I. They came to Mount Ebal. Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded an iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. All Israel with their elders and officers and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as the native. And then point C is in verses 33 to 35 at Mount Gerizim, 
in Mount Ebal, they had a reading of the scriptures. Half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, servant of the Lord, had given command at first to bless the people of Israel. In other words, Moses had told them, when you get into the land, the first thing you're to do is to build an altar. Moses had seen these two mountains when he had gone up on Mount Nebo, which is actually across the Jordan, and looked across. God allowed him to look into Palestine, to the country that was promised to Israel and to the tribes, and he saw two mountains. And he instructed Joshua, you are to build an altar there. And that is where I will begin my work of planting a nation, my people Israel. Then afterwards he read the law of the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. Moses had read that in Deuteronomy. And if you want to look in Deuteronomy and understand these blessings and these cursings that God had very clearly told Israel, blessed are you if you follow my commands and cursed are you if you do not. Mount Ebal looks like this. Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And in between, this actually, in this area, is a natural amphitheater. You can stand right on this part here and over on this part here, and you can speak according to what I've read these past couple of weeks. You can stand between those two mountains and you can speak in a natural voice and be heard on the other side. It is a mile apart. And so what they did was, here's Mount Gerizim where the blessings, and there were Simon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, those tribes on that side. On this side, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali on that side. And this side spoke the curses that are in Deuteronomy. That side spoke the blessings. There were 13 curses spoken. There were seven blessings spoken on this side. And in between was the Ark of the Covenant and the priests and Joshua. What a picture. What a picture of opportunity for the world to know the gospel. And it was a natural amphitheater for the word of God to resound around the world. Not in their day, but in our day. You get the picture of what God is talking about? He's projecting and understanding and knowing. Here was the first event, and now we are in the last event of the gospel being preached around the world. And there was not a word, it says, of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living 
among them. Remember Rahab. Remember her family. And many others who joined Israel. There were in the scriptures those who left their religion. And this gospel of the kingdom, Jesus says, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And that is where we are today. I truly believe that. I'm getting old. I believe from what we have talked about these years that we've been together here at MCC, that this is the age, this is the time when we need to prepare ourselves for eternity, for what is going to happen here on the earth. I beg you, I plead with you, this is your opportunity of a lifetime to receive the truth of Jesus Christ into your heart and life and for your families. Those mothers and fathers, your mother and father, that you need to know this is a time to speak up and to be not bold and brash and say, Mom, you're going to hell. No, don't approach it that way. But to pray for them and pray for an opening, for a testimony to share with your relatives, those you love, and in your friends. I am appalled at the lack of our heart for Japan. I really am. And I'm talking about MCC people. I'm going to say something that you might not like. Last night we have 20 people at Good News Saturday. Every one of them were believers. But the point is, Good News Saturday was not for believers. It was for those who should hear the good news. And no one brought an unbelieving friend. That's a disgrace. What kind of a heart do we have? What kind of a heart do I have? I pass hundreds of Japanese on the street. Now, I don't mean that you run up to them and just grab them by the shirt and say, you got to believe, you got to believe. No, but you need to show them compassion and love. And when you have an opening and look for it, pray for it, seek for it, to share, even if it's just a little bit, Go back to Rahab. All she had was what her parents had told her about what happened at the Red Sea with Israel. And then here comes two guys who seek to hide, but are spies. She hides them and then helps them get out of the city and back to make a report. She believed in the gospel. She believed. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been one of the grandmothers of Jesus Christ. Think about that. You have this kind of opportunity. 
And it sounds very quiet in this room right now. But we should be saying, that's right. That's right. I haven't shared like I should. We've got ICF. That basically, it's just our party, our MCC party. But it's for those who don't know Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to beat you or to, to accuse you, but I think we need to see the gospel in the book of Joshua. We need to understand that. I'm part of this. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to you. Thirteen curses. Read Deuteronomy 27, 9 to 26. It's pertinent. And the blessings of Gerizim, they're real. There's seven of them there. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. I trust that in our believing that we're not just taking it out of habit, the bread and the, and the cup, but that our hearts are prepared to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. That we are a people chosen of the Lord. We are His, but we need to be people who have the same heart that our Lord Jesus Christ had to those who you see and know who need the gospel, who need to hear about salvation whether they be a relative or a friend or somebody that you just meet at Starbucks or some other restaurant or someplace like that. It happens, doesn't it? And I'm speaking to myself as well. This is urgent for us to be the salt and light that Jesus called us to be in this world. Those aren't my words. That is what Jesus said we are. We bring preserving effect into this world. We as believers, because he has made us to be salt. And we also are light for those who are sitting in darkness. That's who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. Think of yourself that way, salt and light. And as we receive this, let this be our prayer the bread and the wine. Let that be as a demonstration. Lord, I am yours. Use me. Make me salt and light for the world around me. Father, we thank you for this time. 
this solemn time. We thank you for the story of Joshua. We thank you for the fact that you put them into a situation where there are thousands of ungodly people around them. And the nations recognized that they were a chosen people. May we be recognizable ourselves in our world.